My name is Nathan Strecker. I'm the youth director here at Redeemer, and we are wrapping up our series all about the kingdom of heaven. Now, in case you haven't been here the past couple of weeks, or in case you need a refresher, I'm just going to remind us what we've been talking about so far. The kingdom of heaven is an extremely important theme throughout the entire Bible. We can find it in the very first pages all the way to the very last chapter. The kingdom of heaven is something that Jesus talked about constantly. In fact, we weren't even able to scratch the surface of what he was trying to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. But we learned that overall, the kingdom of heaven is all about God and humans working together to bless the world. And we see that through the borders of this kingdom, this river that starts in the Garden of Eden and flows through Israel all the way to Revelation. Um, And we learned about it through being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that to be a citizen means to be the type of person who works with God to bless bless the world uh, through repentance. And so we've talked about borders, we've talked about citizens, but there is one very important theme of a kingdom that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the king. So today we're going to answer the question, who is the king of the kingdom of heaven? And my guess is you all probably already know the answer to that question. So let's see. If I were to ask you, and you can respond, who is the king of the kingdom of heaven? God, Jesus, good job. You got it. Sermon over. We're done. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, that's the correct answer. If you weren't a Christian, you could probably still guess that. If I were like, oh, who's the king of the kingdom of heaven in Christianity? Jesus? Yeah, that's right. Um, But why? Why is Jesus the king? How does the Bible show us that, right? How do we get to that answer? And why is it important that we have a king? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, in order to do that, we need to start by looking at the first king of Israel, David. Now, some of you who know the Bible are like, no, Nathan, David wasn't the first king. That was Saul. Well, yes, Saul was the first king, but it wasn't the first king of all of Israel. You see, David, he was pretty good. He was able to unite all of the tribes into the kingdom of Israel. He was the first one to do that. David was the first one to take over Jerusalem and make it the holy city of Israel, the capital city. So this wasn't just a political center, but it was a religious center. And he did that by having the Ark of the Covenant, the the box that God lived in, brought into the city of Jerusalem. And when they brought it in, there was this big celebration. There was this parade. Everyone celebrated because, like, God is here in the city of Jerusalem. And so they celebrated. Now, David, he was a good king. And, we, you know, he's got lots of great traits. He was humble. He was a great warrior. He was a great musician. He admitted his faults and his mistakes But of course, he wasn't perfect. He did have faults and mistakes, and they were pretty big. And the books of Samuel like to highlight those for us, to remind us, yeah, David, he was great. He was probably the best king of Israel, but he still wasn't perfect. Yet despite all of these flaws, God still made a promise to David. You see, when they were in the city of Jerusalem, God brought, you know, excuse me, David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. David felt guilty. He's like, well, I have this really nice house that I live in. But God doesn't have a house. He lives in a box, in a tent. Well, that's not fair. We should make a house for God. And so he's all excited about it. He's like, oh, we're going to make a temple. We're going to make a house for God. But then God, through the prophet Nathan, tells this to David, kind of calls him out. But he also makes him a promise at the same time. We see in 2 Samuel, verses 7, verses 11 through 13. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. So this is God saying to David, I'll make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. 
So David is saying, God, I want to make a house for you. And God's like, no, no, no. I want to make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. And yes, your son will be on the throne forever. And one of your sons will make a house for me. His name is Solomon. But more important, your kingdom, your reign is going to last far greater than you could ever imagine. And God kept that promise, even though there were some troubles in the kingdom of Israel. You see, after David, under Solomon's reign, <clears throat> the kingdom split in two, into Israel and to Judah. And it was in the kingdom of Judah that David's sons continued to rule. There was always a son of David on the throne, as long as Judah existed. But here's the thing, Judah eventually stopped existing as a kingdom. It was taken over by Babylon. <clears throat> and so you might think, well, hold on. But that had the word forever. That's not quite forever, Nathan. It ended. So did God's promise end? Well, no. You see, the promise didn't end because the kingdom didn't actually end. You see, it wasn't actually about the kingdom of Judah and Israel, but it was about a far grander kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And even as God's people were exiled and were you know, stuck in Babylon, the prophets wanted to remind them of God's promise. That it was still true. They were saying, God, where are you? Where's our king? Why aren't you ruling? But the prophet Ezekiel reminded all of the exiles in Ezekiel 37, verse 24. He reminds them, and this is a reminder for us too. He says, my servant David will be their king and they will have only one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. So Ezekiel is saying, guys, don't worry. God's not done on his promise. His promise was that there'd be a king of David forever and he's going to fall through on that. And so as God's people got to leave Babylon and return to Israel, they were still waiting for this king. They're like, all right, God, if this is your promise, then where's our king? Why hasn't our king shown up? And that's why it was a big deal when Jesus started walking around. Now, something that's really interesting is Jesus never outright claimed himself to be the king. Like he didn't go into Jerusalem and say, hey, by the way, I'm the king, just so you all know I'm the next king. Everyone, just to get ready, start bowing, get your stuff in order, I'm the king. He never said that. But when people called him the king, he never called them out on it. You know, people would say, are you the king of the Jews? And he'd say, that's what you say. That's what you say I am. Or people would say, are you the Messiah or the Christ? And he would say, yes, you got it right on. Now, when we hear those words, Messiah and Christ, we think church words, and that's all they are to us. But they actually had a deeper meaning in the Hebrew and the Greek languages. Both those words, Messiah and Christ, both mean anointed one, anointed one. Now, anointing is a thing we don't do anymore, but it was, again, really important in the Bible. Whenever someone was chosen for something really important, they would be anointed. Oil would be poured on their head to say, this person has been chosen for something greater, usually the king. We see this in the story of Saul and David and Solomon. All these kings were anointed. And so the, the word Messiah and Christ, meaning anointed one, then became the meaning for king. So when someone said, Jesus, you're the Messiah, they were saying, Jesus you're the king. You are the chosen king that has been promised to us. And people started putting two and two together. They're like, well, hold on. Jesus is a, is a descendant of David, and he's starting to match some of these prophecies about this king that we were supposed to get. So people started getting really excited about Jesus, saying, this guy, he's going to be the king. He's going to be the one. He's going to beat the Romans, and we're going to have our kingdom back. And all this excitement came to a head at the story of Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday, it's one of the stories we read once a year and we call it good. Um, but we often miss a lot of the symbolism and the deeper meaning that's in this story that the people who originally read it would have had it stand out to them right away. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the story of Palm Sunday, the whole thing. 
And then we're going to go back and we're going to look at all the different themes and hopefully this will help this story come to life for you. So the story can be found in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Again, it's the story of Palm Sunday. Here we go. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mounts of Olives. So this is like the suburbs of Jerusalem. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, uh, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. So basically go into that town and steal a donkey. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, uh, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say. And they were permitted to take it. That worked out well. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments or their clothes over it. And he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, this parade, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, or Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in highest heaven. Okay. So what's going on in this story? We can understand, okay, Jesus gets a donkey, he rides on it, they put their clothes and branches on the road, and then he goes into Jerusalem and they say, praise God, praise the king. What, what's, what's going on here? What's the deeper meaning? Well, one thing that you should do whenever you're reading the Bible, if you read a story and you're confused by it, you should see if there's a similar story that happens earlier in the Bible. So we have a man riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Are there any other stories in the Bible of a man riding on a donkey into Jerusalem? And the answer is yes. And we can see this in the book of 1 Kings. So context, King David, he's really old, and he has chosen his son Solomon to become the next king. And this is where the story starts. Uh, 1 Kings 1, 38. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah son of Jehodiah, and the king's bodyguards, a bunch of important people, took Solomon down to Gihon Spring. Now, side note on that one, if you are here a couple weeks ago, we learned that the Gihon was one of those rivers that flowed out of Eden and represent the entire kingdom of heaven. So we kind of see that popping up right here, reminding us, hey, kingdom of heaven, Eden promise. It's right here. It's happening right here. Sorry, Bible, Bible nerd. Um, Gihon Spring with Solomon riding on King David's own mule. There, Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with the oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. Okay, here we have a story of a man, Solomon, who is anointed as king. He rides a donkey into Jerusalem, and everyone says, Long live the king. Then in the story of Palm Sunday, we have a man who is called anointed, the Messiah, who rides on a donkey into Jerusalem, and everyone says, long live the kingdom, right? Do you guys see the connections? Do you see the parallels, right? As Jesus is riding in this donkey, he's saying, hey, I'm the king, just like Solomon was. He's making a statement. But this isn't the only time that donkeys are connected to an anointed king. We see this also in the stories of Saul and David. Now, I'm not going to read those today just because of for time, but if you read those stories as Saul and David are anointed, you'll also see donkeys being mentioned as well, being a part of that story. 
And donkeys also represented a peaceful reign in comparison to a horse, which would represent like a, a militaristic reign. So as Jesus is riding this donkey, he's saying, remember, this is something that the kings have done before. I'm the king and I'm bringing a peaceful reign. That was the importance of this, of this statement that, again, we often miss. We're like, okay, he rode a donkey because he didn't have a car, I guess. All right, that's fine. Okay, so that's what the donkey means. But, but why were clothes being put on the road? What, what does that mean? Why is that important? Did that also happen earlier in the Bible? The answer is yes, yes, it did. We can see this in 2 Kings chapter 9 as one of the, everyone's favorite biblical kings, Jehu, was anointed. Yeah, you probably didn't know he was one of the kings, but he is. He was one of the kings. Um, so we're going to start in the middle of one of the conversations he's having. Verse 12, they say to Jehu and some people, you're hiding something, they said. Tell us. So Jehu told them, he said to me, this is what the Lord says, I have anointed you to be king over Israel. Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. So again, we got a story where a man is anointed, where everyone shouts, you're the king, and they put their clothes on the road in front of them, kind of like a, a red carpet treatment. So with Jesus, we have a man who is said to be anointed. They say, you're the king, and they put their cloaks down in front of him. You guys seen this? You guys seen these connections? The same thing can be found with the palm branches, but it's, it's a little harder to notice because that story of palm branches happening earlier in the Bible isn't actually in our Bible as Lutherans, but it's found in the Catholic Bible. So lucky them. They got the bonus content. Um, it's going to be found in the story of Maccabees. So let me explain that because you've probably not read it. Um, I only like skimmed it. Um, so Maccabees is the story where God's people have returned to Israel, Israel and they're trying to set up a kingdom again, but this time they're in conflict with the Greeks. And so this guy named Maccabee, he frees Jerusalem from the, re- from the Greeks, um, from their oppressors, and they celebrate by putting the palm branches on the road to celebrate that Jerusalem has been freed from oppressors, and we have a new leader, a new king. And so again, we're seeing that with story with Jesus. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they put the palm branches down to say, Jesus, you will be freeing us from our oppressors, the Romans, and you shall be our new king. And so this whole moment is, is, is so full of, of symbolism. It's Jesus being the king like David and Saul and Solomon and Jehu and Maccabee. He's going to free the people from their oppressors. He's the anointed one. He's the chosen one. Everyone's excited. Everyone's celebrating. They knew he was going to be king and they were on the right track. They believed the right thing that he would be king but not quite in the way that they had expected. You see, God's people, they expected a bloody victory against Rome, but Jesus had a bloody victory against death or the confused kingdom that we called it a few weeks ago. You see, the people believed that Rome was their greatest enemy, their greatest oppressor, their greatest threat. But Jesus knew that that was just a temporary kingdom, a temporary nation, nothing, nothing to worry about. But the real threat that had been oppressing people from the very beginning was death itself. And he came to defeat that oppressor, to defeat that enemy, to save all humanity from death and the grave. And he did it by not just dying on the cross, but by coming back to life and rubbing it in death's face to say, you have no control over me. And so he rose again, he resurrected in a new body. And he said, all of you can have this same victory over death through me. By giving me your life, by letting your life die and letting it come back to life again through me. You can have victory and you can be a part of my kingdom and let me rule over your life as the good king that I am. This is the victory. This is the good news that Jesus brought, not just about Rome and Jerusalem, but about the whole world having victory over death. So that's why it's a pretty big deal. 
But as I share all of that, again, this wasn't new information for most of you. You knew Jesus was king, and so you're like, all right, thanks, Nathan. That was a really cool Bible study. Now I get it. Jesus king, some donkey stuff. I'll share that next year on Palm Sunday and sound really smart. Thanks. But what does this have to do with our life? What does this actually mean? Like, how is my life going to change leaving this place today? What does it mean for us as citizens of the kingdom to have a king? And that's not something we're used to here in America. We don't, we don't have kings. We, we vote for our leaders. We choose the people that we want. They do the things that we want us to do. And even when they're chosen, they don't get 100% control, right? There's checks and balances. There's different parts of the government. And there's term limits. And if we really don't like them, we'll just pick someone next time, right? They, there's limited control for our political leaders. This is not the same thing with a king. You do not get to choose who the king is. The king is the king. And if you don't like it, uh, tough luck. You, he's the king. And the king had complete control over your life. If you wanted to move, the king had to give you permission. You couldn't just go live wherever you wanted. The king had control over what you believed. They would pick the religion of their kingdom. They had control over how you acted, how you lived your life, the way people was, were supposed to behave. And there was no term limits. The king was there for their whole life. And then guess what? It was their son who was king. So you didn't get pick on the next person either. The king had complete and total control over your life. Now, this was great if you had a good king. They would, they would bless your life. They would keep you safe. They would provide, you know, health and, and good fortune for you and your family and your home and peace. This was great if you had a good king. If you had a bad king, that was, or even like a mediocre king, that was not so good for you because that would bring death and plague and destruction and turmoil and maybe even, you know, working for something that you never got to see the fruits of, right? If you had a bad king, that was no good. But here's the thing. You didn't get to choose whether you had a good or a bad king, and you didn't get to choose whether you obeyed. You had to be obedient to the king no matter what, whether they were good or bad. You had to obey. Now, lucky for us, we know that our king, Jesus, is a good king. He's the king of kings. He's the best king. He is just. He is loving. He provides peace, and we know he's going to take care of us. We know that when he says to do something, it is for the best of all of us. So then how come... When Jesus tells us to do something, we are often hesitant or even rebellious to obey. Even though we know it's going to be good. Even though we know it's, it's the better for all of us, Jesus tells us to do something. We're like, yeah, but I don't really want to. Or have you considered my perspective? Or have you considered how that's going to be like a lot of work? I don't think we should do that. I don't, I don't want to do that. Right? When, when Jesus tells us to do something, we often don't want to do it. But remember, the kingdom of heaven is all about God and humans working together to bless the world. So when the king tells you to do something, you obey. When the king tells you to do something, you obey. This is not a discussion. This is not something where you get to vote. When the king tells you to do something, you do it. And that's hard for us, especially for those of us who like to be in control. That's me. So I've realized this whole series, I've been really conceptual. We've been talking about big concepts, big ideas. So what I want to do for the rest of my message today is get practical. To share some stories from my life of when I was obedient to what God said. And we will skip the stories of when I wasn't. We'll save that for another time. Um, just the times where God forced me to be obedient, and I'm glad that he did. And um, hopefully this will provide some insight for how you can be obedient to what God tells you to do. 
And as I share this story, I'm going to be talking about listening to God's voice and being obedient to that. And that's something that confuses you or you just you know, want to learn more about what it means to listen to God's voice. That's something we're going to be talking about this fall in September. So I encourage you to come around, check that out, how to listen to God's voice. Um, but for now, I'm just going to kind of skim over it um, to get to the, the rest of the story. Okay. So when I was in high school, I heard tons of different speakers talk about times when they listened to God's voice and they did it. You know, my youth pastor, my parents, people online, you know, I read stories about people doing that in the Bible and they walked with God. And I thought, that sounds so cool. I want to be the kind of person who can hear God's voice and, and then I do it. That sounds awesome. So when I get into college, that was something I was intentional to try and practice. Whenever I had some spare time, like maybe there was an hour between my classes, I'm like, all right, God, what do you want me to do? Let, let's do this. And a lot of the times it was really simple, small stuff. I'd be walking down the hall and I'm like, God, where should I go? Left or right? And he goes, turn left. I'm like, that's the longer way to get to my class, but I'll do it anyway. Right? Really easy, small stuff. And a lot of times nothing really came of it. I would just walk longer to get to class, get my steps in. Sometimes I would bump into a friend or an acquaintance and we'd have a nice conversation. There was even a couple times where I talked to someone and we had a really meaningful conversation. I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I bumped into you today that we could have this, have this talk. But as I look back at that chunk of my life, I realized it was just a time of practice, of me getting used to hearing God's voice, of me getting used to being obedient in the really small things, even when I didn't know why I was doing it. So that way when the bigger decisions came, I would be ready. And one of those decisions happened in December of 2017. I was graduating college that month, and so I'm ready to talk to God, and I'm ready to get some, some big decisions out of the way. And I'd learned through practice that the best way for me to listen to God was to be alone in nature by myself. And so because it was December, I decided to go to the beach at night because I knew no one would be there. No one goes to the beach at night in December. This is not what you do. So I knew it was all by myself. And so I go to the beach. And I'm ready to talk to God about the big questions. And what was on my mind was relationships. I'm like, all right, God, which girls should I talk to that are at college? Which, should I talk to her? Should I talk to her? Should I, should I move on? What should I do? That was what I was thinking about. And I go to that conversation. God's like, we're not talking about that. That's, that's not what we're doing today. And I'm like, what? No. And he reminded me of a conversation that I had had about a week prior. One of my good friends was going to a different church called Horizons, and they, at the time, were looking to hire a very part-time youth assistant. And my friend said, Nathan, we really think you should consider applying this job. Now, at that time, I was working here as the interim middle school director. So I said to my friend, hey, thank you so much for considering me, but you know, I've already got a job. It's at my home church with my friends, my family. Thank you so much, but I, I think I'm good. I, I'm already taken care of. So back to the conversation on the beach with God, and he says, Nathan, I want you to go to that job interview. And I'm like, what? But I already have a job. He's like, I want you to go to that job interview. But God, then I'd have to leave all my friends and my family. And then he reminds me of all of the Bible stories of people leaving their friends and their family. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll go to the interview. That's all, I'm, I'm just gonna go to the interview. So I go to the interview and I, I get the job um, because the people there are great and I realize I believe the same things they do and there was a lot of opportunities there. So I start working at Horizons and it was not easy. Right? I had to say goodbye to this church, to my friends, my family, to the livelihood that I had known. But I make that step and I step into the unknown and I end up working there for three years and I get the full-time position there. But after about three years, God opens up a job here for the full-time youth director, and things were changing over at Horizons. So God said, Nathan, it's time for you to come back to Redeemer. And I did. 
Now, as I look back at the season of my life, I'm like, all right, God, why did you have me go on this big loop-de-loop? Have me, have me leave my home just to, just to come back? What, what was the purpose? And God revealed to me tons of reasons why he had me do this. You know, the first was that I grew and learned so much. I learned different ways to, to speak and present and, and preach, different ways to lead ministry and to work with the youth and to be a part of the church. Uh, while I was there, God made some incredible friends for me that are still some of my lifelong friends to this day. Um, while I was there, I was able to bless the youth who were at that uh, congregation um, for that season of time during the years of COVID. Um, so I was able to provide some stability during that time. And the most important reason that God brought me to that church uh, can be revealed through one more story. It was the summer of 2020, and they were letting me speak. You know, this is what churches do. They let the youth pastor out of the cage, you know, once a year, let him speak on Sunday morning, see the sun, lock him back up again. That's what I'm doing today. Thank you so much for letting me out. Um, so it, it was my time to preach on a Sunday morning. And we were doing a sermon series all about testimonies, right? Sharing our testimony, the story of how God has changed our life. And one thing you guys probably don't know, but behind the scenes, when you're planning a church service, you like to plan things. You like to know what the songs are, who's speaking, how many microphones you need. We like to, especially at Horizons, we had to get everything down, right down to the second so everything could flow smoothly. Now, as we're preparing for this series on testimonies, we're like, well, we should probably have someone share a testimony. That's kind of, I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, as we're planning it, we want to make sure that everything is good. So usually you want to pick that person ahead of time. Someone who's got a good story, someone who's a good presenter, someone who's not going to go on a crazy rant, someone who you can be like, yep, we are locking our church's name next to this person. So you want to pick them ahead of time. So as I'm prepping, God tells me, don't pick that person ahead of time. And I'm like, why are we doing that? And he's like, just, just trust me, it's going to be okay. I want you to open it up to the congregation and let anybody come up and speak. And this was a big deal. I had no control over that. The church, we had no control over who could come up and speak. We we're just making an open invitation. So I ran this past my coworkers, and they're like, all right, and that's what God's telling you to do. We should do that, um, but we need to practice. So we, we ran through what to do in case we had someone come up and start doing a crazy rant or someone going up like, hey, can I, can I, I would like to tell my story today. Or we practice. We practice what to do in all these different situations, so we were ready. So Sunday comes around. I give the message. I talk about testimonies, and I say, all right, we're going to sing one song. During that song, listen to God's voice. If he tells you to share, we want you to come up and share a one-minute story of how Jesus changed your life. So we sing the song. I come back up, and I'm like, all right, guys, who heard God's voice? And I was ready for absolute crickets, for nothing to happen. But surprisingly, when I make that invitation, people start coming up, and they start sharing the stories of how Jesus has changed their life. And they were absolutely incredible. And we heard from all kinds of different generations, from the youth to parents to older generations. Everybody was coming up and sharing their stories. And it was really powerful as I'm sitting up there going like, wow, God, you, you came through. You, you told me to be obedient, and, and, and this is what's happening. But it was the last person who came up and shared that had the biggest impact on my life. On my life. So thankfully, this whole service was recorded on YouTube. So I just want us to like watch the clip of that person sharing their testimony. So watch this. All right, one more. Okay, what's your name? My name is Lauren. Lauren, in one minute, how has Jesus changed your life? Um, I've always struggled with really bad mental health. Sorry, her story like brought me to tears. I was crying over there. I'm doing my best to keep my composure. <laughs> so like, I've always like especially the past couple of years, I've been really searching for like a way to cope with that. Like, I don't know whether it was like drugs, like not bad drugs, but like 
normal drugs and stuff and therapy and nothing was working. And I remember my sister and my brother-in-law used to come to this church actually. Mm. And she sent me a link and I pulled it up and I remember just laying there listening to the service. And this was probably three weekends ago. I'm pretty new. And I remember the only thought that came in my mind was like, you can't do this alone. Mm. And I actually became like a confirmed Christian that day. Wow. That's awesome. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. So on that day, I met this person, Lauren, first time we'd ever seen each other before. And I go, hey, this is a new young adult. We should get her plugged into our you know, young adult ministry. So we do that. And then she starts serving at the youth ministry. We start to get to know each other. And one thing leads to another, and we're now engaged. So... <laughs> So that's the story of, of how I met my fiance Lauren. Now, I share this with you not to say, hey, if you are obedient to God's voice, you will find your future wife or husband. It's going to happen. That's, that's not what I'm saying, right? God doesn't guarantee us that we're going to get the job we want. We're going to get all the money. We're going to get to the school we want to get to. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you are obedient to the king, that there will be blessings to the whole world. And thankfully, we live in the world. And so sometimes those blessings can land on us. What I think is really cool about this story is, is I look back at that night on the beach talking to God. And I wanted to talk about relationships. My God, who should I pursue? And he says, this job. And I thought he was making me talk about a different topic. But really, he was answering that question from the very beginning. He just didn't let me know. Because if he had, he said, Nathan, I want you to go to this church because you're going to find your wife there. I would have been really distracted the whole time. I would have been looking at everyone like, is it you? Is it going to be you? Is it you? I would have been doing, I would have not done my job. I would have been really distracted. And so he didn't tell me that, um, thankfully. But in his goodness, he has now revealed as I look backwards, he said, see, this is why I told you to do that. I had a bigger plan. You just had to trust me. See, when your king tells you to do something, you obey. It's the same thing with the disciples. Jesus told them, hey, I need you to go and find a donkey. Don't worry about paying for it. Don't worry about, you know, if it's going to be there, I just need you to go and get a donkey. And they did. They were obedient. And because of that, Jesus was able to have this triumphant entry into Jerusalem that we still celebrate to this day because they were obedient to what their king told them to do. That's what we need to do. When your king tells you to do something, you obey. We can try to control things on our own. We can try to have our life be our life, and we run it. But I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of the times that doesn't work out for the best. We end up running our life into the ground. That's why we say, Jesus, I need you. I humbly offer my life to you. I want you to be the king. I want you to be in charge. I want you to have my life. I give my life to you, Jesus. I say yes to you being my king. And that's not just a one-time decision. That's a lifestyle of us having to constantly remember that Jesus is our king. Because sometimes when things are going well, we like to drift back into the driver's seat and be like, no, I got, I got it now. Um, but God likes to remind me how often I need him by making my life stressed and busy and overwhelmed. I'm like, God, I can't handle this. I need you. And he's like, okay, good. All right. Now, now let's get back on track. And so that's why every week we make an invitation to all of you. Maybe you have never said yes to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. But today you are feeling like you need that help, that you need a king. You've tried to do it on your own, but now you're done with that. It's time for Jesus to take the wheels. I want you to take that opportunity today. 
Or maybe you've gone to church, you've said you're a Christian, but you've never really meant it before. Today, I want you to make it real, to give your life to Jesus and say, yes, you are my king. You are the one who has victory over death and confusion in the grave. I want to give my life to you. Maybe for some of you, this is a part of your life. You are a Christian. Then I want you also to join in as we say these words, as we remind ourselves of how Jesus is our king. So I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and to bow your heads and to repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Please send your Holy Spirit to live in me. Today, I say yes to following you. Amen. Now, with our eyes still closed, our heads still bowed, Today, if this was the first time you ever said those words, or if it was the first time you said them and meant them, I want to encourage you to raise your hand right now. Again, this is a private decision between you and God, but if that was you, please raise your hand. Yes. Yes. Okay. You can put your hands down. You can open your eyes. Friends, let's make some noise as the kingdom of heaven has grown larger today, my friends. Come on. There we go. There we go. There we go. If that was you today, I want to encourage you to continue your journey in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, We have a a blue table over here on the side where we would love to connect with you, get to hear your story, and help show you the next steps of how you can connect with us here at Redeemer or continue to give your life to Jesus. Um, If you are joining us online and you made that decision, you can also go to RedeemerMN.org slash next steps. We'll have some resources there for you as well. My friends, the kingdom of heaven is an extremely important theme that we've only scratched the surface on through this series. And as you continue to read the Bible yourself, I I hope you continue to find more of these themes about the king and about anointing and about rivers and all this stuff that all point back to Jesus. And our response to Jesus is to repent, to turn, to follow him, and to obey. And as we work with him, we will go out and bless the world. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will head out. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for being our good king, for giving us direction and guidance when we are confused and when we are lost. God, I pray for everyone here that you would help us to listen, that you would speak clearly in our minds, that you would give us courage as we go out and we obey, even though it can be uncomfortable or hard or challenging. And God, I also pray too for everyone that you would give them insight and wisdom in in the future as to why they had to obey. Maybe it could be tomorrow. Maybe it could be in three years. I pray that you would show them why they had to make these decisions so that way they can celebrate with you as well and share this story with the world about how you have blessed them and care for them and love them. Give us strength, give us love, give us peace as we go out and we change the world. We love you, Lord. Amen.